Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard, alongside none other than John Tesh. John, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just taking credit for all your work. It's so funny, man. I get out there now, and if somebody can't uh, hear the radio show in their car, maybe they're even in, in one of the towns that might not have our radio show. There's like three I, of them left. I know. Uh, somebody will come up and say, oh, I listen to your podcast. I love it. I, say, I love the interviews you do. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even give you credit at all. <laughs> Gibbs doing all these interviews. It's like, that's fine. It's like I, I, I played a song at Red Rocks uh, called You Are Good, a worship mm-hmm, song, mm-hmm. right? And Israel Houghton, who wrote the song, like three years later, he contacts me and says, hey, I, I want to meet you, and, da, 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 and thanks for playing my song, you know, and he goes, you know, everybody thinks you wrote that song. I said, yeah, yes, I do. <laughs> and that's the dark side of this business. <laughs> yes, thank you. Speaking I'm, of interviews. I'm really excited about this interview today. Go ahead. Speaking of interviews, our guest this week is Emily P. Freeman. She is author of the new book, The Next Right Thing, A Simple Soulful Practice for Making Life Decisions. And we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, but the mental baggage, you know, when we have unmade decisions, it's like having an unmade bed. It is like, I mean, it's, 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 there's a lot wrong with having unmade decisions weighing on us. You know that feeling when you have a big decision to make or a big conversation to have, and it interferes with our decision-making paradigm. So she is going to tell us how to, um, and she's going to, we did the interview already. I'm not going to lie about the timing of this. We're doing yeah, the intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she told me about how, um, how you can let that stuff go and the good ways, ways of letting those weighing decisions go on you um, so that you can come back to them and you can, and also the paradigm that we need in order to make the decision. Because what happens is our brains get tired. We make over 35,000 decisions a day and our brains get fatigued That's by that. That's crazy. And we add a lot more decisions by playing with our phones. We, we, you, by being in contact all the time, oh, yeah. there's extra decisions that we're making that are not, like a, a video game, for example, just wears our brains out. Is that why these really smart people that create a whole bunch of stuff, they just wear the same clothing every day exactly. so they get rid of that decision? Exactly. And, and they, you know, you know, Michael Crichton, Right, who wrote uh, everything, he, right. uh, including all the Jurassic Park stuff. He, I remember, I was such and a big fan. And he created fan. ER. Right, exactly. Yeah. He ate the same thing for uh, for breakfast and lunch every single day. Yeah, every um, single and, day. Uh, uh, Tuna fish sandwich. Fred Dreyer eats the same thing for breakfast. Right, dinner our, lunch our buddy. Dinner. Yeah, yeah, our buddy. So, uh, that, like the last three or four people that you've interviewed. You must like be a perfect person now with all this information. Oh, no, 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 no. I know that what I'm doing is wrong now, oh. but I don't do anything oh, differently. Oh, oh, so you're like a can of soda that they opened up like from yeah. both ends? Yeah or, yeah, or one of those beer things? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Shotgun. Uh, shotgun. Yeah. So yeah. It got, look, I, no, it doesn't even, it's, it's not that it, does go, that it goes in one ear and out the other. I, I hear it. I absorb it, but I don't necessarily live it all out. Like, like, yeah, look, uh, look, right. how many times are we going to, are we going to tell people not to drink soda on the radio show? Right, and right, then, right, right. and then, you know, if you're at the right, if, you're, if somebody's like, oh, would you like an ice cold Coca-Cola? You're like, you know what? I would really like an ice cold Coca-Cola. We can't uh, help it. Yep. You know, you have a cousin that should probably be listening to your, to your, <laughs> to your podcast. You have many cousins and they won't figure out who they are. Anyway, before- She knows exactly who she is. She, uh, before we get to, uh, to Emily Freeman, and I can't wait for this interview, let's do a couple of quick pieces that- Before uh, are, we do that, though, Oh, yes. Yes, go ahead. You, uh, in addition to working on a lot of things, in addition to the radio show and the regular touring, you've also been writing a book, and this book has been, has been informing- your tour, your, your show. Sure. And this new show has a lot of talking. It's a lot of stories from your life. In fact, it's called Grand Pian- uh, It's called John Tesh Songs and Stories from the Grand Piano. Uh, and you like this tour so much that you are turning this version of your concert into a PBS special. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, I can't wait. We're, we're shooting it April 25th. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. April 25th. It's uh, Tickets are free mm-hmm. uh, because we want the audience to be happy that we're going to keep them for two yeah. hours. Uh, and you can get it all the information at testmusic.com. We've also added, I mean, like like in the next two two months, we've got like seven or eight concerts. We do have a lot of We're probably somewhere where you guys are right now. So testmusic.com, you can see Git play, you can see me play, you can see us all have a good time, interact with the audience. Uh, but and, if you're and, in the Colorado area, yes. if you're in Colorado Springs, yeah. Denver, yeah. Uh, in that, yeah. and uh, it, it, was it Kent? What's the name of the actual city? Yeah, I can never remember. It's Woodland Park. Woodland no. Park, Colorado. That's where we're going to be on on uh, April 25th, and that is going to be our our very special PBS special. We're going to be recording there. So be in the studio audience. Be live. Be a part of this this new. And you talk about your cancer journey. You talk about your whole your career. It's it's all it's all brought into it. So if you like the radio show, you like the podcast. If you just like us at all. This is a great show to be a part of, and it's going to be on the air, but you want to be there in the audience. It's going to come alive. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about pizza for a second? Because that's what's, what we're Always. going to eat after the, after the show. There is a thing. I know you, you like to wear hoodies, uh-huh. and we're, we're, we're pretty much keto, but when we cheat, we do eat pizza. Actually, there was a piece we just had on the radio show about how uh, pizza is probably a healthier alternative than, than eating cereal in the morning. Really? Because, yeah, because it's more, it's more balanced. I mean, look, stuff. I love pizza. <laughs> well, there's now something called the Pizza Pocket Hoodie. I've oh, already sure. ordered mine. It's on uh, Kickstarter. The Pizza Pocket Hoodie. Uh, it is created by a man in New Jersey. It's a sweatshirt that features a large zipper pocket that contains an insulated pouch to fit one slice of pizza. Keeps your pizza warm for hours, and it can be removed or washed individually. But uh, I, I just think this would be great for you who has three kids. Yeah, it's 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 like you're it's like you're a trainer, like you're an animal trainer. Yeah, you I know, could, and you got to get them to do stuff, and you get a piece, little piece of pizza. I could put like I could put bagel pizzas in there, just a whole bunch. Yeah, in the yeah, thing. yeah. Don't and they I, have pizza balls or yeah, something like yeah, that? Yeah, they have pizza rolls, toasted pizza there rolls. Is, there it is. So look, man, you can do all kinds of I hours. Do, it stays warm. Hours. So what I love is that you know, of course, it's a guy from New Jersey who's like, you know, what I need is I need a place to keep a spare piece of pizza when I'm walking around. It's a very specialized clothing garment. It's not like it's a, it's it's triangular hole for your pizza, right? So, but I yeah. do love that because again, like you just mentioned, I think I would dig it because I'm at the park with my kids. I can have pizza in there or anything I want to keep yeah. warm. Yeah. And while everybody else is getting you know uh, yogurt covered Cheerios, I've got pizza rolls. I've got you know a warm tuna melt sandwich in my pocket. Well, you, and you know it's going to happen because every time somebody invents something like this, it just goes further. You're going to be able to zip out the whole back of your hoodie and put a whole pizza in the back. Oh, yeah. Like, so a, like a Ninja Turtle. Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the ninja, Donatello's dream has come to life. <laughs> All right. There's also something called the Gray Phone Challenge. Can oh, you yes. tell people what this is? Because you've actually experimented with this. Yeah. So, look, our phones are attention magnets. And actually, it's going to be on point with the, with the conversation we're about to have with Emily P. Freeman. But our phones are attention magnets. They, they, they are designed, literally every app is designed, um, almost every app, to, to hold our attention to the point where uh, we can't look away. I mean, literally, it's the attention economy. And they have all of the colors and sounds and motion that, would, that is meant to attract our eye for our lizard brain. Well, one way you can get around it is by turning your phone to grayscale so that they, this, that at least the color can't be used against you. At least you, you can't, it's all, if it's all gray, you're going to be less likely to reach for it because it doesn't stimulate yeah. the like, inner yeah, lizard yeah, brain yeah. part of your body. Yeah, I, lo- I love this. And, and how do you do it again? You can go into accessibility settings in your phone. So uh, every brand of phone, but on, on, on iPhones, which is what I have, it's under settings. And there's a little uh, a general tab. That's uh, under accessibility. So you go to general and accessibility, and in there, there's all kinds of things you can do. But uh, what you want to look for is where is it? It's uh, it's in the color set. It's in okay. the visual color settings under there. Yeah. You know, you know, uh, you know what I wish? I wish we had because uh, we have so many so many cool gadgets on our cars now. You know, get those, all those 
Audi Q7s and Q10s, and it's uh, they warn I you. I don't, but yes. No, but they warn you when I don't either. But they warn you when something's coming up, and it'll it'll stop if there's a person in the road. I think we should be able to have a filter for our windshield, right? And what if that, what, what if that turned everything gray, and then McDonald's would be out of business? Ooh, not but, that I want you guys. But to also, business, like, right? if a kid's wearing a red shirt, you're not going to see him. That's true. Well, uh, yeah. What we need is a heads-up yeah. display. We need to like take the AI, artificial right. driving, yeah. right? The artificial intelligence, you know, robot driving cars, auto, self-driving cars, and we need to like use that radar and put it into our windshield so we have a heads-up display. So like when the car knows that a kid is coming mm-hmm. down the street, sure, yeah, yeah, we should like get a little yeah. flashing icon that yeah. shows them coming up the street. But when the, go- the 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 yellow and red fast food places all turn gray, uh-huh. we would need fast food. Well, maybe the smart thing can turn that gray. I mean, yeah, I think we but, just, but I want to hear. I want to see the kid. I, I want to see the kids. Yeah, I got you. I think we That's just. The only thing. I think we just solved everybody's problems here. I can't wait for. Uh, we've kibitzed enough here. It's time to get to Emily. Emily Freeman and I. Gosh, these books that you've been doing lately are amazing. The next right thing: a simple soulful practice for making life decisions. And I, I listen. We're gonna. I want to do just a, one podcast with just you, and probably the next one where we can say, okay, how have you changed your life after being so <laughs> after like hour long interviews with all these people? Uh, it, you know, in, in small but, but significant ways. Emily P. Freeman, thank you so much for being a part of Intelligence for Life today. We really appreciate your time. I'm thrilled to be here. So you've got a new book uh, that, that is coming out, just came out, The Next Right Thing. It is Simple Soulful Practice for Making Life Decisions. I feel like oh, there's a lot of books, a lot of, I, I, I don't know if it's the smartphone or what it is, but they're like, like decision-making paradigms are very popular uh, for the last decade or so, more so than they have been. How did you get into this world of decision-making paradigms? It's a great question. And it started with a hard decision I had to make. And it's funny because I was deciding whether or not to return to school. I, I, w- I thought about uh, entering into grad school. Mm. And while that's a it's, a, it's a fairly privileged decision, if we're being yeah. honest, you know, it's, if yeah. I don't, it didn't go, nothing was, no one was going to die. You know, it wasn't like that type of thing, but it was a decision to make nonetheless. And it was something to consider because I have three kids and, yeah. you know, I already have a job and, you know, it's not like an, uh, just an easy thing to do. And, but as I was carrying around that, decision, um, I noticed, you know, as a writer, part of my job is to pay attention to the world around me and and how it connects with the world within me. And so Mm -hmm. as I, on the outside, had this big decision to make, which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, I was paying attention to how I was carrying the unmade decision. Oh, yeah. you know, and it, I realized that, oh, this is, I'm, I'm paying attention in conversations differently than I normally would. And when I get the little dove chocolate candy, I'm reading those messages <laughs> as if they're going to carry some type of guidance for me. Um, and that was interesting to me. So on the outside, I was trying to make a big life decision, but on the inside, I was like, Hmm, as a writer, this is an interesting, right. um, transformation that opportunity for transformation that can happen is my posture is one of listening and paying attention Mm. in a way I don't think I would have been doing if I didn't have a decision to make. It's like when you're thinking about buying a car, all you see is that car on the road. Oh, Toyotas. Toyotas are everywhere. Right. Exactly. Yes. So you, so you begin to become where, I mean, I'm assuming, at least for me, when that's, when I, I totally resonate with that experience. I mean, this idea of when I'm making a major decision, all I see are factors from that decision, even in the way that the person hands me my coffee in the morning. Like, uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Are you implying that I should live in a different neighborhood? Like whatever it might be. <laughs> um, but so, so, and, and I find it very mentally exhausting. I, I don't know. Yes. I, I don't know if that was your experience, but I do. And, and so how do I make that 
I, I guess it's like it's like mental clutter. How do I begin to declutter that process for myself? It is like mental clutter. In fact, one of the things that I have found helps me in the midst of that um, the the decision fog or decision fatigue is another phrase yeah. that has become really yeah. used a lot. Um, and 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 they, for some of us, it's decision fatigue. For others of us, we've lived with it all of our lives. It's almost like we are chronically hesitant when mm. it comes to making decisions, big or small. Um, but you mentioned clearing the clutter, and I do think that this idea of—I don't know if you've heard of Marie Kondo. Who uh, hasn't? Uh, right? At this point, if you haven't who heard of Marie Kondo, it's on you. That is on you. Yeah. That is your fault. Yeah, Marie exactly. is, she's, you know, she obviously, she's got this Netflix show and it's fantastic to watch her. She's so calming and she talks about only keep things that spark joy. And, uh -huh. you know, while that is an external in my home thing, I think there's a lot to be learned in decision making from her and her, her process because, um, our homes are always receiving input. We're always bringing things in regularly, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we do not have a regular practice of output when it comes to our homes. And so she comes into people's homes when it's like their homes are like out of control or even just like a little bit too much stuff. And she helps people release what they no longer need for their journey. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to decision making, I need that same practice, except I need it for my mind. I need right. it for my soul. I need it on the inside. And so I've discovered that equal to, it's like a little Marie Kondo situation, um, on the level of my soul is, is practicing silence and stillness. Um, that is sort of for me, what it looks like to declutter on the inside, because the truth is we're always receiving input, um, in, on the inside as well, equally like in our homes, but the input looks different. It looks like a weird, awkward conversation with a neighbor, or it looks like a fight with our spouse, or right. it looks like craziness at dinner time. you know, and it's all this input. And then you wonder at the end of the day why you can't settle down to fall asleep. It's because you've received all this relational input through the day, but where's the output? And that I think is an important practice for those of us who want to approach decisions with some clarity. I, I, and I feel like too, my, my own inner monologue is like a constant input. Like I'm just, everything that I see sure. gets, gets reevaluated with that inner monologue and it's just constantly streaming into my, into my stress level. The thing that I find so unbelievably frustrating about what you just said is that the answer is is like as simple as that sounds, the idea of sitting and and being contemplative for a few minutes of of turning things off of whether it's you know whether you're just doing some sort of mindfulness meditation or prayer or whatever it is um it sounds easy but and, and but and it but it, the daily practice of that is so stinking hard i find it's the it's the literal worst. Yeah. I, I wish I could give better. I wish I could say, well, all you have to do is touch your nose, jump three times, uh -huh. and then you're going to know you're going to be clear. You're going to get know. it all out. But it's, it's harder than that. It's so much easier to stay in motion than yeah. it is to still, it really is. But I will say this, and this has been help, hopeful and helpful for me is it actually takes less time than I think. Right. The way that I practice it is I will set my phone timer for five minutes mm. and I Set it and I'll five minutes and it starts counting down 459, 458, and I'll put it aside and I will just simply sit in without an agenda. And that's the thing. I think sometimes we sit and we think, okay, now I'm going to make a mental list and I'm going to, but right. like, what would it, 
what would it look like for me to sit? And maybe even sometimes I do this practice on my hands where I will um, have my hands um, clenched and I will one by one, each finger, just sort of list something that's on my mind so that because we're going to, those things are going to come up anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I have like a practice to let them go and I'll one by one, you know, this conversation with this person, there goes the thumb, this, you know, this moment with my kids this morning, there's the pointer finger and you do it. And if you have 10 things, by the time you're done, you have two open hands on your lap. And usually by that time, the timer goes off. But what has happened for me there is, oh, I've become aware of some of the stuff that's happening beneath the surface. And maybe even I've been able to release some of it in the process. That's, that's incredible. I I feel like, I feel like you've hit on something there too, that is representative of why this decision making paradigm world is so big right now. I mean, this, this world that you now live in, but the, but you know, you, what you essentially just did was, was boredom. Right. You just you just kind of but but right, like you've, it's five yes. minutes of yes. not being stimulated um, and inundated with with notifications or whatever. And I, and I feel like our digital world has completely eroded those moments of boredom. Like even if you even if you are commuting on trains, for, you know, 20 years ago with a book, there were days when you forgot your book and you just kind of had to sit there. We used to be bored so much more often than we are now. Like I find myself reaching for my phone at the most, just at at the slightest hint of not being stimulated by the world around me to get that stimulation. And I feel like what you're talking about is just turning that off for a few minutes and letting your brain be bored. Yes. We are, what you just described was, was how we are letting everyone else's agenda live in the sacred space of our soul. And it is time for an eviction. There is something really powerful about empty space and boredom. And I think that is the beginning of creativity. And let me tell you what requires creativity, decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so we sit there, we do this, this contemplative practice where we sit and close our eyes and, or do you have to close your eyes? I didn't even ask you that. I just went, you just, you just the fingers, right? <laughs> you you know, I, I, I do both. Sometimes I close my eyes. Sometimes I pray. Sometimes I, I just sit in the silence and allow the silence to fill the space. Sometimes I keep my eyes open. It's really, there's no wrong really. But there <laughs> is, there is just being with the moments that are there until the timer goes off. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like, and like you said too, I mean, I don't know if people realize I've heard, I've heard actually I've heard two different versions of this. So one is that you said uh, we we make all of these decisions every day and it's a uh, it's a it's a resource that we're we're kind of using with our brain. Uh, I think that's the the estimate is 35,000 40,000 decisions every single day something like that. Jeez. And and some people would say that it's a muscle that you have to work out. You should make more decisions so that your brain is stronger and others would say it's just sort of a fixed finite resource that we have every day and you need to try to make as few decisions as possible and those are like the the habit people the Charles Duhigs of the world where, where do you fall on that decision making as a muscle for me I, th- I think I would fall in the latter category and part of that is because um I don't know if you read that 2011 New York Times Magazine article that asked, <laughs> I don't know do if I you did either. suffer? Do you suffer from decision fatigue? And I yeah. don't know if that's the first time that question was asked, but but it was basically based on a study of the some Israeli prisoners who appeared before for before the court for parole, and they did a study of like 1,100 decisions over the course of a year for these parole hearings. And it was overwhelming the results. It was something like 70% of the time, those who uh, appeared in the morning received parole, 
while those who oh yes i've seen this yes late yes. in the day yeah late in the day only 10 percent of the time did they receive right. parole and they and like they right studied, after lunch was the worst right after or right, lunch yeah well like yeah if they had had if the judges had had a break or a meal they they actually did a little you know they were more willing to offer or if it was early in the day more willing to offer parole because granting parole to a prisoner requires a lot of thinking, decision making things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things involved. Whereas just saying no is an easier decision because right. there's not as many factors to consider. So the, the more fatigued their brains got, and this is just a, a physical, a physical thing, mm -hmm. the, the least likely, the less likely they were to grant parole because it was just easier to say no. Yeah. And I just, and this was 1100 decisions that were studied over the course of a year. And the, so it's, you know, this was an interesting study to me because I just thought, you know, I, I can relate with those judges. I feel right. like it's the same reason why if you ask me a paint color right now, I could give you, oh, for sure. Here you go. I like Alabaster White from Sherwin-Williams. But if I'm remodeling <laughs> This episode my brought to you by Alabaster White from Sherwin-Williams. Right. There you go. They didn't... Yeah. Um, but if but if I'm remodeling my house and I have to make 40 of those decisions today, yeah, yeah. by the end of it, I'm like, I don't even care. Paint it in rainbows. I don't care because <laughs> I'm just done. I'm done making decisions. And I, I just think that there is a... Um, I think we can get better and more quick, quicker at decisions. Like you had said, make more so you're better at it. And I do think there's something to that. But we're also we are um, humans who are not robots. And I mm -hmm. think we need to remember our um, own humanity and that we want to make soulful decisions that involve our, 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 our mind, our thinking self, our feeling self and our intuitive self. And I can't do that at 11 o'clock at night when I've had a full day. I just right. can't. Right. And, and and I think, you know, I, I think this, I think you, you hit on before this idea that we just were never bored anymore. So our brain never gets to reset from that decision-making consistency. You know, unless we're asleep, I think the last thing I do before I go to bed is is stuff on my phone, and the first thing I do when I wake up is stuff on my phone. So I'm I'm decision making all the way. It's, that's really the only time I'm not making decisions, and I feel like I feel like I'm I'm to my detriment. It's the same reason why people say their best ideas come in the shower because unless yeah, you have a cool we talk about that all phone, the time. Yeah, right, you probably aren't doing phone stuff in the shower. Although I have heard to our great, my great dismay that there's like, oh, there's new fangled th phones you can bring in the shower. And I'm like, please, no, please. I that's know. my, that's a sacred space. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep that. We need the good ideas. Sometimes right. I worry, like there are going to be no more inventions in the world because every, our minds are always occupied with just sort of numbing out. Yeah. That really concern me. Well, there's, you know, and, 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 and you, I think there's a, a lot of, we've talked a lot about the idea of going for a walk and having walking meetings and yes. that, because I think what that does is it forces you to not be staring at your phone. It forces you to not be, you're stimulated in a much more passive way without having to make like minute to minute decisions. It's more just, uh, you're just get your, and your, and your blood is, is moving. So I feel like that's, that's kind of a version of what you're talking about where you are eliminating distractions. You're, you're putting your, you're doing some output on your brain while you go for an outdoor walk. Uh, walks are the best. I call walks the opposite of the internet. Yeah, they really just, true. It feels like the opposite. And, it, yeah. and, it, and it, that's my experience. I love I love taking a walk, even just a short one. So you were talking before about this idea. You have this big grad school decision to make. Now, you have three yeah. children. I, I have three children. Uh, big decisions like that require a lot of time and consideration. Time and consideration that you don't necessarily, uh, can't necessarily do in a single day or between school pickup and school drop off. Like, you it's at some point you have to live with that unmade decision around you so how yes um especially just the way our modern lives are so how do you how do you do that how do you 
how do you make it so that when you're trying to make that decision, you're able to uh, you're able to exist apart from it for the times that you have to? Well, I think I think one thing to do is to recognize um, how you are uniquely wired. I think we all move through the world, and this has been studied by people who are way smarter than I am. Mm. Um, but I think we all sort of lead with one of in one of three ways: with our head, our heart, or our gut, or oh. intuition. Have you have you done the enneagram? Do you know that is what that is? Yeah, yeah, I have, I have. Oh. and I think that is we a should great do an episode on that. that. What what enneagram number we are you? Should. What enneagram number are you? I'm a seven. That's it. I, yeah. I'm a four. Okay. All right. You All right. see. Oh, you your voice went down when I said that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know a lot of fours. <laughs> I, I I don't know a lot beyond my own enneagram. Just because. Right? But but anyway, yeah. you digress. So we see with our head. The, yes. That was maybe thinking. Head, heart, or gut is how we perceive the world. Uh, seven, by the way, is a he, one of the head numbers for the enneagram. Yes. If you don't right. know what the enneagram is, look it up, or we'll do a, an episode about it later. But keep going. So head, heart, or gut. Well, and not, not one is better or worse than another, and mm-hmm. they each carry their own uh, set of giftedness and uh, set of gifts and set of burdens. But I think it's important when we have when we have to carry around an unmade decision. For me, it's helpful to ask myself the right questions. Mm-hmm. And for example, if you're a head person, it might be really helpful for you to get down on paper all the facts, everything you can possibly yeah. know about this decision. Like for yeah. example. When does it have to be made by? Write that down, the deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you made a decision like this in the past? What was the outcome? Mm-hmm. Are there people you can connect with who can help you think through this decision? Write right. down their names. Right. Just getting it down on paper, the facts. Whereas for me personally, I'm in the heart space. And so I just sort of see the world by sometimes I will leave a conversation carrying a feeling out of it, like uh embarrassment or um, excitement, but I cannot give you words or facts of why that feeling is there. Mm-hmm. Give me time, give me time and I can. But my the way I lead is through my feelings. Mm-hmm. And growing up, I was told that's not okay. But what I have learned is um, all of we need access to all of these spaces um, and we make our best and most soulful decisions when we can access all of these spaces. And one is not better than another, right. but it's good to understand what we lead with. And I think that is an important part of decision making. And so like your question was, what do we do when we have a big decision? And it has to, we it has to remain unmade for a while. And I think a, a great uh, thing to know is to ask yourself the right questions. And one question I think no matter if you lead with head, heart, or intuition, is to ask yourself, what is it that you really want? And while that sounds like a selfish question, and maybe maybe it can start off that way, mm-hmm. but here's what I have discovered. What what we want is what we want, whether or not we acknowledge it. Right, but right, it's a really good it, point. It is, and if you fail to acknowledge it, what will happen is what you want will come out sideways. It will come out yeah. as frustration, as uh, irritation, as fear, as regret. And if you don't, if you aren't willing to name, okay, for example, my my um, example of wanting to go back to school, um, knowing why I wanted yeah. to go back to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah is really important. That doesn't mean I get it. So knowing what you want is different from getting what you want. You might not get it, but knowing it and naming it is so important because I think so many of us go through life with these desires that are buried within us. And if we don't access them and aren't honest about them, they will control us, but it won't be pretty. And I think it's so important to be able to name those things so that we can either go after them or 
release them um, if they're not something that's for us in the season of life right now. I think it's a gift to our families when we can name our desires and either um, pursue them or release them if that's what needs to happen. And I, I think you hit on something so important there, and and, and it, it's it's it really is profound. So, th- and this is a big reason why I love I love journaling. So I feel like a lot of us uh, we we take what we want in life and we maybe couch it or we mold it to be something that's more palatable to the people around us, right? So yes. maybe you maybe maybe there's an achievement you want or a thing that you want and you you come up with a reason why you want it that's different from the reason why you want it so that people <laughs> yeah. around you will feel like 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 I'm not, I'm not saying this but maybe you want to go to graduate school because you think it looks cooler to have letters after your name right. um, when right. you're at a party or when you're talking to a publisher but instead you say no I really want to learn about the universe in this way and maybe that's partially true but that may not be your core motivator but when you do that you you really change how you're perceiving your goals and it takes away from finding that real why which is the most motivating thing for a long-term goal is is understanding that why and i feel like journaling for me anyway it solves it checks all those boxes one it's a private place where you can be completely honest about why you want what you want it's also a place where you can get all of that stuff out that you were talking about before like your pros and or, or what what you're what you're going for but also what the deadline is and why and and the why can all be just sort of ejected out of yourself so that you can focus on other things as you go through your life. Yes, it's so true because you're right. It's what we say we want and what we actually want don't always match up. No, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But that that practice that you mentioned of journaling, um, that is such a great place where we can find those discrepancies and then begin to discover, you know, my motives are weirdly mixed, but that's a good thing for me to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you... you, um, you get to this place where you're debating, I mean, not to go back to your to your narrative, but you're, you're this place where you're debating grad school, you're, it's weighing on all of your decisions. What makes you as a writer, you decide that this is interesting. What made the next right thing, the book that you had to write? Because I mean, you've written a few books. Why is this the one that you had to write next? It's so, it's a great question. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, I started it as a podcast first. And so At first, it wasn't the book I had to write next, though I thought it was, um, but it wasn't coming out as a book. It was wanting to be spoken. It's Mm -hmm. this weird, it's like sometimes, you know, this was my fifth book. So the books have come in a certain way and I listened to them in a certain way and, you know, they, they came about, um, in a way that books come about. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, as someone who's never written a book, I have, I mean, I can only (laughs) guess. But, yeah. uh, you know, but I think 90% of us kind of understand what you're saying, but don't actually empathize. And then maybe there's maybe there's a few people listening maybe that have written few. books. Well, I think sometimes the art, let's call the book an art, sometimes it tells you what it wants to be. And no matter if you're trying to make it, wrap it up in a certain um, wrapping, it just won't fit in. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to rethink it. And so I thought this was a book, the next right thing book. And it started out and it was like, nope. I want to be spoken. And that's when it became, I said, oh, this this idea I have about decision-making is not a book. It's a podcast. It wants to be spoken. Mm. And so it started out as a podcast first. And I thought it's always going to be a podcast. And I loved this format because I could talk through the ideas. I could hear back from listeners. 
it felt like I was entering into a conversation that people were having, that people wanted to have. Um, but then what I realized was that um, I had readers who were never going to listen to a podcast. And here was all this content of decision-making and stuff that I was really excited about yeah. and learning. And they were never going to have access to it. I mean, I do have transcripts, but that's tedious to have to go to a transcript and the whole thing. So, um, so that's when I realized, you know what, all these, you know, tens of thousands of words of podcast content, this could actually lend itself well now, now that I've given it some time um, to a book format. And so I, I haven't gotten sick of talking about decision-making <laughs> yet. We'll see. We'll see what happens in the future. Well, I, and, and when it is time to stop making, to stop talking about decision-making, you'll have the paradigm you need to make that decision appropriately. <laughs> That's exactly, it gets real meta, doesn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> it really does. It starts, it's nests on itself. What is the... Um, What's the secret sauce of the next right thing? Like, what is what is the thing that you that that you wanted to say that wasn't being said? Like, what is what is the it, it's is it because it, all these books have a different thing? So, like, yeah, uh, it, it, for Charles Duhigg, it's it's forming habits so that you free your brain to be able to make more decisions. What's the secret sauce for the next right thing? Well, you know, I stand at the corner of where faith and creativity uh, mix. And so for me, decision making is a lot of times is wrapped up in faith in this posture of mm -hmm. prayer. Mm -hmm. But I will say that I think that whether you are a person of faith or whether you're not, here's what I think we do. I think we make the decision the primary point. Mm -hmm. And what I what I think is actually more important is the person we are becoming in mm. the process of making decisions. Interesting. So for me, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's great to make better decisions, but I would love to walk alongside people as they make decisions in a better way, which is uh, making the decision still important, but it's secondary to the person we're becoming. And and, and and every decision, you get a practice of finding a way to make better decisions. Yes, that's I mean, right. It's a, I know that sounds sort of, again, really meta. But it is <laughs> it is a skill that you can that you can acquire, and almost sometimes the value of a decision uh, is making a even a right or a wrong decision, but is in actually just making it so that you can live with the consequences and understand how to make decisions better in the future. It's so true. And you know, it's speaking of that, uh, the magic sauce, I think is that the title, the next right thing, everybody wants to make the right decision, mm -hmm. but I really think the magic word is the word next. Mm. That's the word that's appropriate, that's approachable, that is disarming. That is like, oh, I don't, I might not know the right thing to do right now, but I can do the next thing. And that's where I hope people will find some freedom. So how do you figure out what, like, how do you do that? How do you make that decision? So we'll, we'll go back to grad school for you. And as you're pulling the trigger, not, not second guess it, not think, oh my gosh, I made the wrong I made the wrong choice as you're as you're pulling the trigger on that. Well, I did think that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I definitely did fear that. And that that's that's a personality thing. Some people can make decisions and they don't ever look back. Right. And from you, I would like to have a workshop because yeah. I think a lot of us could learn a lot from people who who move through life that way. But but for a lot of us, that's not our reality. And mm -hmm. so there is a there is there are a lot of practices to engage in, which is the spiritual practice of letting it go, the spiritual practice of picking what you like and then seeing how it grows mm -hmm. rather than thinking, I have to pick the exact right thing. It's mm. like, well, how about maybe there's a lot of right things? And grad school for me was, you know, in a way I wished my husband had been like, no, I think that's a terrible idea. That would have made my decision so easy. But unfortunately, he had to be kind and supportive and say, I think, you know, this is a great idea for you. And um, so the decision was in my lap. And moving forward to school um, was for me something that uh, I, I made the decision. And then honestly, six months later, I started to wonder, oh, this is really hard. And this is taking a lot of time. And maybe I 
maybe I misread the signs and la la la. But mm-hmm. um, but I talked to some people who you know, and this is where co-listeners, I call them co-listeners, are so important. People who know you, people who can listen with you, and can speak truth into your life. Um, I remember voicing out loud about six months after this decision was already made. I was well into my semester and a, a woman who I who helped me through the decision initially, I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe I made a mistake. And she looked at me and she was like, this decision is past. The, the time is gone. There's no use in digging up and doubt what you planted in faith. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. Why would I, why would I waste my decision-making energy for today on a decision that's already passed? And mm. so moving forward in faith, trusting that I made the right choice with the information I had at the time um, and moving forward with it, there, there really, that really is something that I think, um, it takes practice of yeah. letting stuff go. It yeah, really does. It really does. I mean, that that that's really hard. And but so, how do you? Is there a way that you know that you haven't? Like, you you just say once you've once you've gone through the paradigm, you need to just stick with it, right? That that you don't want to waste the energy on it. And I just, I guess, I guess we need more insight into what that what that paradigm is. Like one of the one of the things you say is you don't make pro con, pro and con lists, which I literally before we did this interview was in the middle of making a pro and con list. Uh, about about some home buying stuff. So what should I have been doing instead? Well, that's a great question. And I think a pro-con list comes when we have a decision in our lap. Right. Um, and that that's an okay way to do to, to it. But the problem with a pro-con is, um, especially when it comes to more nuanced decisions mm-hmm. of life, is that every item on a pro-con list does not weigh the same amount. So yeah. we can't necessarily look at a list and say, well, there's more pros than cons, so that means yes. Right, right, um, right, right. It's tricky, right? Yeah, for so sure. while it can be a helpful information gathering tool, for me, one thing I have found to be more helpful is to um, engage in the practice of reflection before it's even time to make a decision, mm. which at the point of decision, a person would be like, well, that's 0% helpful for me. But being a person who moves through life in a posture of reflection, because I think the best in the best teachers for future decisions oftentimes are past decisions. And the way to pay attention to those is to have a regular practice of reflection built into our rhythm of life. And for me, the, a better list is to make a life energy list, which is um, asking yourself two questions based on two things. One, you choose a period of time like the last 90 days or last the last week even. It can be any period of time. Mm-hmm. Two, you choose a category. So let's say vocational choices or relational things or whatever the category you want to make it as broader narrow. Um, so a period of time, a category, and then you ask yourself two questions, what was life giving and what was life draining? And when you make that list, that list can show you a lot more than just the facts, ma'am. It can show you, um, how you felt about certain things, what things, because on paper, oftentimes things on paper look great, but when you consider, but was that life draining for me or was it life giving? That's when you bring in some of the color, some of the layers and nuance of decision making that we sometimes forget after the fact. And it's only upon reflection that we realize, oh, I don't, I, I say, I keep saying yes to that thing that is actually a real life drain for me. And moving forward, now that I've done that reflecting practice, I might make a different decision if that opportunity comes up again. So that's the beauty of the life the life energy list is I am starting to be a student of my own life in such a way that it can then inform future decisions. Yeah. And it all and it also gives you sometimes it, what I'm hearing you say too is that it, that can 
also underscore whether or not a decision needs to be made. Like, so sometimes, giving you, uh, just jumping off from your example, sometimes uh, you don't have to make a decision coming up, but you kind of want, you're, you're deciding, if, even if you want to dis- make a decision, like changing jobs or going to graduate school, right? It's not right. a decision that has a deadline per se. It's sort of, uh, do I even want to think about this? Like, even, even, the decision to decide is a decision ahead of time. <laughs> yes. Uh, and and I, I feel like if you go through that life energizing versus life draining list, uh, it'll help you start to understand whether you need to make a decision. If you spent the last 90 days doing mostly activities that were life giving and very few that were life draining, then maybe you don't need to make a major life change. But if, on the other hand, if, if if it's the opposite, then yeah, you probably do. You make a great point. I love that reflection. Well done. <laughs> it's not my point. I'm just applying what, what uh, I'm just applying what, what you said. Um, uh, I guess we, we're going to wrap this up soon because I've taken a lot of your time. But but one of the things I want to know is what do you want uh, readers to walk away from the next right thing with? Like what what is your goal for them in writing the book? I think a lot of, of what we've talked about already is that. The next thing is always available to us and mm-hmm. it's never, never too late to choose it. And sometimes we make things too hard. Sometimes I make things too hard and I think about, I have to make these giant life decisions. And and sometimes that's true, but rarely is now the time we have to make a huge decision. A lot of times it's just, that's what's weighing on us. And so I think, um, you know, the next thing to do after listening to this episode is um, ask yourself the question, okay, what is my next right thing? right now, especially if you're in a time of great overwhelm, just carrying that question around and asking it a hundred times a day as you move through the day can be really freeing and almost energizing because you think I don't have to decide what I'm going to do in four hours. I'm just going to think about, okay, what is my next right thing right now? And I, I hope to help people, um, begin to carry that question so that there can be some loosening up of the pressure to make, you know, decisions Maybe, maybe prematurely in some ways. And and so you you so that would apply to the the large decisions as well as the minutia. I mean, this, this idea of what's the next right thing. Like, do I pay my parking meter? Is it that little? I think it can be. I think I think we have to pay the parking meter. But is that the thing that I need to do next, or is that something that I can put on my list? And that might be a next thing, ten things down the road. Right. You know. Because yeah. when we're in a time of overwhelm, sometimes the reason why we're overwhelmed is we're standing in the middle of the room spinning around at all our the all time of, our stuff of on our overwhelm. Oh my gosh! I just seven times of overwhelm just popped into my head. I love <laughs> I love that phrase. Keep going. Sorry. When we're in that, it's like we're spinning and we can't land on anything. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think that the the practice and it is it's both in big and small things, but but the simplest practice is just to stop spinning and to say, okay, I have twenty things on my list. What's the next right thing I need to do right now? And sometimes it's the thing with the quickest deadline. Um, and that's okay. And that can be your next right thing. Sometimes it's just, I'm going to reheat my coffee in the microwave. And then I'll decide next after that, what's my next right thing. It's obvious. I didn't come up with this concept of next right thing. This is something people have been saying for mm-hmm. ever. In fact, Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk a lot about just do your next living thing. In the moment. And living in the moment. Yeah. Because if they think about 10 years of sobriety, they're going to go to the nearest bar. You know, they right. can't think that way. And I think the same goes, I mean, in a way, we're all addicted to something, right? And so oh, I think yeah. we can apply that uh, to so many areas of life. Yeah. I, and I, I, and as a procrastinator, what I love is I can put a lot of next right things in the way of me doing the things <laughs> I don't want to do. 
Uh, before I let you go, where can people follow up with you where, if they want to learn more? Obviously, I'm going to put a link to the book in the show notes. Uh, Emily P. Freeman is her name. For those of you that haven't been paying attention, uh, link to the newest book, The Next Right Thing, will be in the show notes. But but how do you want people to connect with you? Yeah, well, if you go to Next Right Thing book, um, there you can take a quiz to find out your decision-making style, which, I mean, who doesn't love a good quiz, right? Oh, yeah. I love quizzes. Quizzes are so fun. Our so entire Next privacy right network book. has been taken down by the fact that we love quizzes so much. <laughs> love quizzes, yeah. So that's that's one place uh, to find out more about, about the book and the concepts. And then I'm Emily P. Freeman pretty much everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, website, emilypfreeman.com. So you can find me in all those spaces. Links to the social uh, accounts and the website in the show notes. And uh, Emily, one last thing I ask it to literally everybody I have on here. What is one key habit that we can start doing today that will make a big impact in our lives? Oh, a key habit. I love this. Well, something Dallas Willard, is a writer I really love, says, said, uh, and I have taken it to heart, and it's this, relentlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Wow. What is that even? How do you do that? Well, that is a key habit to practice. You know, right? <laughs> you know, one one way to do it is, for me, um, when I'm in line at the grocery store and I pay and they give me my receipt back, is not rushing to, to um, get out of the way of the person behind me. It's just like, I'm going to put my receipt away and then I'm going to slowly walk away and I'm not going to rush. I'm going to relentlessly yeah. eliminate hurry from my life. I wish I could relentlessly eliminate hurry from getting my kids ready for school in the morning. I wish that <laughs> could go away. <laughs> Emily, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get to talk again soon. Thanks for having me. So fun. As usual, another awesome interview, and, and I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm getting to the point where, I'm, it's, it's free, you know, and I don't, I don't need that 200. It's not 300 bucks an hour, you know, this, yeah. this, this therapy. So oh, it's, it's free therapy. So yeah, enjoy it. You know what's interesting is that I was looking, I was looking down the, you know, the research from, from the, the radio show recently, and that's a new trend for couples too. Is, is lots of therapy. Oh so yeah, over 50 percent of millennials have gone to couples counseling. All you got to do is just listen to the Give Gerard podcast and you can get all that. Well, first of all, I believe wholeheartedly in counseling in general. I think talking to professionals is a great way of working out some of your issues. But also, uh, I think that this podcast is great. So if you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Or, or rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube now. If you like John Tesh, you go to Facebook.com slash John Tesh. We are there all the time doing Facebook Lives, posting videos, having conversations. He's also on Instagram, John Tesh underscore IFYL, and on Twitter, at John Tesh. I am Gib Gerard. Facebook.com slash Gib Gerard. On Twitter and Instagram, at Gib Gerard. And if you would please just tell one person about the show, it would mean a lot to us. Thank you so much for listening. I also want to remind you that uh, the podcast is now available on YouTube, which is a great way yes. to uh, to listen. You just fire up the YouTube, put it in your pocket, and you're ready to go. Fire up the YouTube. 